Wilson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. It's been since last Wednesday. Wednesday since we've talked. A couple early brewer starts on Thursday and Friday. So unfortunately, we haven't had a chance to chat. A lot going down. A lot has happened since last Wednesday. Both with the Brewers, they, they've got a couple series under their belt since then. They've been they've been playing pretty good. We have a lot of Brewers talk today. Uh, since the last time we've talked, the NBA Finals have also gotten rolling as well, including Game 2, which was last night. That series tied one piece, uh, one game to one. I want to talk a little bit about that. Maybe, maybe you're not an NBA fan. Maybe you were just following along for the Bucks, Or maybe you were never in board, uh, on board with the Bucks. Anyways, if that's the case, we have tons of Brewers talk today. we got a bunch of things to talk about, including couple roster moves they made, one very unpopular. If you haven't seen already, the Brewers sent down Keston Hira. Uh, disappointing, maybe frustrating for fans, but but ultimately I don't think that's surprising. It kind of fits with the Brewers' M.O. the last couple of years under David Stern. So we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll talk about everything that's happened because the Brewers had a fantastic weekend. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, a four-game set with the Pirates, and, and we haven't had a chance to talk since before that series starts. So I do want to talk a lot of Brewers today, but I want to start with the NBA Finals last night. I don't know how you approach your sports fandom. I think we we all could say we have a, a favorite league, a favorite sport, certainly favorite teams, right? I mean, this is the, the Wisco sports show, so I would imagine a lot of your favorite teams are, are Wisconsin or maybe mixed Minnesota teams, maybe some Chicago teams in there. I don't know how you approach your fandom. Once your team has lost, right, whether that was in the regular season, once they've been eliminated, once they're done, whether that means not making the postseason or being eliminated early or late in the playoffs, do you continue to watch? Really? So, so if the Packers get bounced in the first round of the playoffs, do you continue to watch? Do you religiously sit down and watch every game? Or, well, maybe if I get a moment or if i at a friend's house and they got it on, I'll watch. You know, in the NBA, so the Bucks lose in the Eastern Conference Finals. Do, do you make a point to sit down and watch these final games? Now, I, speaking for myself, the NBA, I think, is my favorite league. Now, the way that I judge that is take the Bucks out of it, take the Packers out of it, take the Brewers out of it. If none of my teams existed... Which league would I still watch? Like, which sport would I still be interested in? And I would still watch the NBA. I I don't know if I'd watch a a whole lot of baseball, but I'd certainly watch basketball the most. And and I I feel like I need to watch these games. I I don't really know. I I don't love Golden State. I would love to see somebody else win. But then again, Toronto beat the Bucs, so I kind of want to see them lose. Like, I'm kind of torn. I don't really have a team I'm rooting for, but I kind of feel like I need to watch, right? The NBA is my league. Uh, Basketball is my sport. It It would be like... It would be like a, a Bible-thumping Catholic every year at Christmas and Easter saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the Sunday off, right? Like, that's, that's what it feels like to me, ignoring these, these Eastern Conference or these NBA final games, excuse me, after the Bucks were eliminated in the Eastern Conference finals. Last night, I'm watching, like I said, I don't really have a dog in the fight. Golden State, they're just, they're just champs. They're just champs, and, and it, it's just these little things that they do. Like, that times last night, I, I thought Toronto looked like the much better team. One of my roommates came home about midway through the second quarter. He said, well, how, how's it going? You know, what's going on with the game? And I said, man, I, I don't know if Toronto's going to win this series. I don't know if they're even going to win this game. But at times, they look like the better team. Golden State looks like they're playing on their heels. And then Golden State just, just does championship team things. They go on a 20-0 to run at the end of the first half and into the third. 
they rattle off 18 straight points to start the second half and, and just suffocate Toronto. Now, Toronto missed a lot of shots, but defense plays a hand in that, right? And, and it's it's been next man up for the Warriors. Kevin Durant's already hurt. Now, last night, Clay Thompson goes down, and, and out of nowhere, Quinn Cook just nails three three-pointers. A little bit of juice off the bench, including some big answers. When that Toronto crowd's getting riled up, that team's starting to feel it. Quinn, Quinn Cook, of all people, had, had answers last night. Like, they're just the champs. And, and, and especially that Quinn Cook instance, like, that that's what I thought the Bucks were. That's who I thought they were, right? If Giannis doesn't play well, okay, well, Chris Middleton's right there. And if Chris Middleton's being guarded strongly or he has a bad night, they have Bledsoe, they have Lopez, they have Brogdon. And if their starters have a quiet night, man, look at their bench. They got George Hill, and I like Pat Connaughton, and I like Ursan. Now, not all of those players are going to have a great game in one night, but chances are one or two of them is going to, and sometimes that's all it takes. That's what I thought of the Milwaukee Bucks. The, the Warriors are, are, are they're just doing it better. They do it best. Right? They're the champs. All throughout the playoffs, people argued about the Bucs. They said, man, they don't have postseason experience. They don't have a, they have nobody who's been there done that. And I said, man, they're the better team. I know that matters a little bit, but I don't think that's going to decide a series. Well, well, last night I'm, I'm watching Golden State, and part of me is thinking, okay, well, yeah, now I get it. Golden State has that postseason experience. They have that championship experience. So when Katie isn't there, and when Clay gets hurt, and when Steph doesn't play, I mean, Steph had 23 points last night, but he wasn't otherworldly, right? He was just okay. The rest of the team knew what to do. And, and and in the Bucks instance, when Chris Middleton was cold or Eric Bledsoe went cold, there were times where the moment looked just a little bit too big for Pat Connaughton or Ursan Ilyasova or, or Sterling Brown, fill in the blank, right? And, and maybe, just maybe, if the Bucks had been there, if they had done that a time or two before, I, I, I would see in the Bucks what I, what I see in the Warriors. is it, Sometimes it just doesn't matter. They're down... One game to nothing. They're playing in Toronto. Kevin Durant's not playing. Blake Thompson's not playing. Steph is, is just okay. Andre Iguodala only scores eight points. I know he did hit a huge shot at the end, but he wasn't everywhere last night. And then, of course, Quinn Cook is, is, is draining three-pointers like, like nobody's is. He was three of five from beyond the arc, right? That's what I thought about the Bucks, And the Warriors just, just do it better than everyone else. Do it better than anyone else. They tied up the series one one last night. Like I said, I don't I don't have a dog in the fight. I actually I was wrestling with myself last night because there were moments in the game where I'm like, man, I want I want to see Golden State win because I want to see Toronto lose, right? Toronto beat the Bucks. I do not want to see their fans. I do not want to see their players, and I certainly don't want to see Drake celebrating an NBA championship, right? And then there's also moments where I'm like, man, Toronto's basically Milwaukee. They're the team who's, they're the underdog. They're the small market team who's done everything right this year. And they had to go all in for Kawhi Leonard and, and everything's lining up. Why, why, I want to see them win. And I was going back and forth. And I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm going to watch all these games because I love the NBA. And I, I made the comparison. Like, like me skipping the NBA Finals games or a diehard NBA Finals or an NBA fan skipping the Finals just because their team's not in it would be like the most the hardcore bible thumping catholic just not going to church on christmas and easter like it would make no sense right like this is what we wait all year for i know the bucks couldn't quite make it to the finish line and actually put themselves in the finals but hey i'll be watching i don't know how you handle your fandom that'd be an interesting uh conversation do you continue to watch once your once your team has been eliminated do you make a point to, to sit down and watch? Do you stay do you stay focused on the league or do you kind of separate yourself? Do other things. I wouldn't blame you if you are doing other things. The Brewers have made it easy the last week or so. They had a fan 
fantastic weekend. Let's let's talk about the Brewers. Why don't we? This is the Wisco Sports Show after all. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host, and I hope you had an awesome weekend uh, and enjoyed some of that, that very satisfying, very fun Brewers baseball. As much as I downplay my love of baseball at times and then play up my love of football, play up my love of basketball, when the Brewers are, are, are playing fun and they doesn't look like they're stuck in the mud and and pitchers can get some outs and, and batters can get some hits. Baseball is is a very fun game to watch. Sunday afternoon, kick back on the couch, maybe sit out in the yard, listen to the game. There isn't much better. We had a lot of chances and a lot of time to enjoy the Brewers this week. And and seeing since it has been since last Wednesday, since we've had a chance to talk, let's catch up a little bit because a lot has happened. A lot. You don't want to miss out, right? We got we to gotta stop and, and smell the roses. It's a 163-game regular season. The more you focus on the finish line, the more you obsess about the finish line, which comes at the end of the summer, you're going to miss all the fun that happens in May and now in June as we sit here on June 3rd, and the Brewers are in first place. That wasn't the case on Wednesday. A lot has happened, so let's catch up. Let's talk about it all coming up next when the Wisco Sports Show returns, presented by, of course, Played Against Sports. You're listening to WKTY. And he swings and drives one into deep left center field. This is back, and she is gone. Orlando Arcia, a two-run home run. His second home run of the game, number eight on the season, and he has given the Brewers the lead in the 13th inning. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. I hope you're having a good night. Brewers fans feel pretty good after this weekend. Taking three of four from the Pirates. They split a two-game set with the Twins last week, who uh, maybe some doubters, maybe some people thinking how we've seen this movie before, not only with the Twins, but teams like the Mariners, teams heck like the Brewers, who get off to a blazing start and then never are really able to finish the deal or kind of fizzle out. The Twins, at least from everything we've seen, they're not cooling off. They're not slowing down. They are the real deal. And, and just being able to, to split that pair last week alongside winning three of four in Pittsburgh, pretty good week for the Brewers, right? 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talk and text line. That's where you can reach me. That's where we can talk with either a call or a text. Twitter's also wide open at Keystroker Grant. That's my account. And you can find us all at WKTY. Pittsburgh, well, let's start with the, the four-game set in Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh, at least in recent memory, has been kind of a house of horrors uh, for the Milwaukee Brewers. Of course, everyone remembers that five-game losing streak right before the All-Star break last, uh, I believe it would have been July if I remember correctly, right in the middle of the summer before the All-Star break, where not only enough that the Brewers had a five-game series, which is weird by itself, but the fact that they all lost five games. And I remember what must have been either a Saturday or a Sunday game. I remember it very well, just, of course, not not what day it was on, where how many times did the Brewers blow a lead or mess something up and then go into extras, and and the ball went through Manny Pena's legs, and it, it was just a mess of a game, and, and you thought they were going to win, and then Corey Knable blew the save. I was hanging out with my family, and my mom just about had it with me because I was in, well, just about as bad of a mood as one could be in, considering what was going on with the Brewers, just trying to salvage uh, what was left of a really, really rough stretch going into the All-Star break as the Cubs are climbing, 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 right there, right there, right there, and and what was an, an excellent first half of the season last year for the Brewers, especially for the likes of Jesus Aguilar, kind of went down the tubes in those last couple of days. So, you know what, Mother, I was I was right to be in a bad mood. Maybe the yelling uh, was a little bit uncalled for. But But Pittsburgh's been bad for the Brewers, right? 
They they don't play well at PNC Park. And that's why when we talk about the Brewers division, well, St. Louis is going to be good and Chicago is going to be good. And, and, and this year, Cincinnati added a couple of pieces. And then Pittsburgh is kind of that last team. And, and really, everybody says the same thing. And that's they always play the Brewers tough or they're always interesting. They're always in the mix, right? Clint Hurdle and, and that squad, for whatever reason, always just seems to be a pain in the butt, at least for the Brewers. And make a stink in that division. And now this weekend kind of felt like the Brewers maybe got a little bit of a monkey off their back. And what was even uh, even better about the series, aside from the three wins, is they all kind of came in, in, in different form and fashion, right? You, you see this not only in baseball, but in all sports, right? Where where a team is playing really well, they're winning a lot of games, but they're, they're, they're all one-sided. Like all the games are, are played in, in the way and then the form and fashion that that team prefers, right? Now, now sometimes... A team can be so good that it doesn't matter. Like, like the 2011 Packers didn't have a defense, and it didn't really matter, of course, until they got into the playoffs. But a lot of people throughout that regular season, I remember Merrill Hodge was just being a jerk. I don't know if he's still at ESPN, uh, but an NFL analyst there all season long saying, hey, the Packers don't have a defense. I mean, they're, they're boat racing teams. They're putting up a ton of points, but, but what happens when they have to play a defensive game, right? We saw that a lot with the 2011 Packers. That should give Brewers fans a little bit of solace knowing that in this past weekend, they were able to win 4-2. to They were they were able to win 12-10 to in extra innings, and they were also able to win 11-5. So yesterday, they had an outstanding outing from Zach Davies. The pitching was very good, and they were able to win by only hanging four runs on Pittsburgh. And the other night, on, on Saturday, they needed 12. They needed all 12 runs, and they needed all 12 in the timing and, and, and in the place that they got them. That Orlando Arcia home run that I just played came in, uh, what was it, the top of the 12th, or did it go to the 13th inning? 13th, yep. Just an absolute, just a bomb. And Orlando Arcia is starting to hit the ball pretty well. That was one of my big takeaways uh, from this weekend. And and a lot of people are talking about it today. It is The stretch that Orlando Arcia is, has had. Now, that 13-inning marathon was one of the more entertaining Brewer games I've ever watched. They won 12-10 to in the 13th. Now, the win went to Adrian Hauser. Who, who had a gutsy performance in extra innings, but you had two home runs from Orlando Arcia, and you had uh, home runs uh, from Mike Moustakis in that game as well. Like, like it, it was a very back and forth here and there, and of course, Keston Hira forcing it into extra innings in the top of the ninth, tying it at 10 apiece. We'll talk more about Keston Hira coming up soon enough. Orlando Arcia with two home runs, and, and, and he played very well in the last week and, and has just... Outside of a game or two or a little mini stretch here and there, has has had a, a very good season. I, I heard a lot of people as I was making the rounds on on Wisconsin Sports Radio this morning, of including Dave and Scrady, six to nine every morning here on WKTY, and I listened to Bill Michaels this afternoon. I, I only heard fifteen minutes of Bill Michaels and Radio Joe today, and they were talking about Orlando Arcia, right, and, and the good things that he's doing at the plate. People are talking about it. I I I think it. It's time for a narrative switch with Orlando Arcia. Now, I've been waving the flag with with a narrative switch about Giannis for the last couple of months. The 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 the, the easy one size fits all approach to talking about Giannis is well, just wait until he gets a jump shot and he's going to be incredible. Just wait till he's even okay at shooting the three and he's going to be unstoppable, right? And, and I have to sit and watch these Bucks games and I'm watching Giannis hit threes. I'm watching him hit two of four in a game or two of five or three of five. He's not taking a ton, but he's making a good percentage, and he is becoming that, a competent three-point shooter, which is what people have been banging the desk for and actually forgetting to watch the games and, and not realizing that he actually is is becoming 
an okay three-point shooter. The same can be said with Orlando Arcia. For the last two years, all I have heard is, man, if he can just be okay at the plate, he's going to have a great career. Or, or if he can just give you a little bit of offense, any offense that Arcia gives you is just icing on the cake, right? And, and and the more that we say these things, the more that we just stack up these, uh, just these um these cliches about well, you know, he was never supposed to be a hitter. He's out there for his defense. He any any offense he gives you is is a plus. It's icing on the cake. The more that we talk about it, and the more that we ramble about how Orlando RC is not a good offensive player, he's he's turning into a, a pretty decent offensive player. We're seeing it with the power numbers. We're seeing it with the reduced strikeouts, right? And the comparison that was flying around, and this is what Bill Michaels and Radio Joe were talking about. I don't know. David Scrady might have covered this this morning. I don't get up early enough to talk with David Scrady. Orlando Arcia right now, if, if you just look at his hitting splits, his different statistics, they're actually, in some cases, better than Manny Machado. And, and, and batting average and, and hitting numbers can be difficult sometimes, right? I'll be the first to admit Batting average is 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 pretty understandable. I, I feel like most average baseball fans can understand average, right? 300 is great. Anything above 300 is superb, right? If you can be above 260, 270, that range is pretty good. As soon as you drop below 250, that's uh, not so good, right? Like, okay, that was that was the most basic, that was the most generic explanation of, of batting average possible. But but you understand, right? Statistics like OPS. Right, are sometimes hard to swallow. Like, oh, you have an OPS of 800. Okay, well, that, that sounds pretty good. I, I guess I wouldn't know. Sometimes you need to compare it and compare these statistics with the statistics of another player, right? Sometimes that helps us put it into perspective. Well, Orlando Arcia, when you compare his splits, compare his statistics with Manny Machado, they're actually, they're pretty damn close. Orlando Arcia this year has 197 at-bats. Manny Machado, 208. So, difference of less than 10. Or a little bit more than 10. My bad. <laughs> Batting average for Orlando Arcia, 264. Manny Machado, 255. Okay. He's got him there by nine. That is less than four. That math I can do. He's got eight home runs, which nobody consider Orlando Arcia a power hitter. Now, we saw a little bit of it in the postseason at the end of the regular season last year. But I, I think some of us attributed that to he got lucky. He got hot at the right time. And let's face it, a lot of Brewers got hot and lucky at the right time last year the end of the season and into the postseason. So I think it was easy to lump Orlando Arcia and his his surge of power into that group. Well, at least so far through June 3rd, he he's continued to hit the ball with power. He's got eight home runs. Manny Machado, who, who's one of the bigger sluggers, was probably the second biggest name on, on last year's free agent market besides Bryce Harper. He's got nine. That's, that's very comparable, almost identical. Orlando Arcia's got 25 RBIs. Manny Machado has 27. I know statistics can sometimes be difficult to to understand and to put a finger on. That's just one comparison. I'm not saying Orlando RC is better than Manny Machado. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying Orlando RC, I don't think is is I don't know if we can now talk about him as a bad offensive player. I don't know if we can continue to use these cliches, these these generic takes where you say, well, if he can just be okay on offense, if he can just give you a little bit, man, he's going to be a good player. Any, anything he gives you is icing on the cake. Well, the more we say that, the more we continue to ramble on about how Orlando RC is a bad offensive player, he's becoming a pretty decent offensive player. And of course, it helps that Lorenzo Cain and, and Christian Yelich and Mike Moustakis and Yasmani Grandal make Orlando Arcia's life easier by allowing him to hit near the bottom of the lineup. 
bottom of the lineup has, has produced in spots for the Brewers so far this year, like with those two home runs in, the, in that marathon game on Saturday night when the Brewers and the Pirates went 13 innings. I, I, I think Orlando Arcea's offense and Giannis's three-point shot are very similar case studies. In the narrative has become so set in stone that Giannis can't shoot threes, that Arcea can't hit the ball, that the more we bang the desk and the more that we continue to say that, these players are improving. They're getting a lot better in the area of their, their biggest bugaboo. I, I, man, Orlando Arcea's become a really, really fun player to watch at the plate because he hits with a little bit of swagger. That home run that I played, which put them up two runs in the 13th inning, man, he crushed that. And it wasn't a... a an ugly hack of a swing that just barely got the ball in the right spot and just barely swung over the fence. Man, he was swinging with confidence. He attacked that pitch. He looked like a hitter, looked like he had a little bit of swag. I'm not saying Orlando Arce is Christian Yelich or that by far he's Manny Machado, but his numbers are, 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 are no longer mediocre. They're no longer below average. He's become a, a pretty reliable and a pretty consistent part of this Brewers batting order. Let's give the man some respect, right? Orlando Arcia, no longer a miserable offensive player. Yes, absolutely. Give it up for Arcia. Been fun to watch. And a huge part of the reason why the Brewers were able to take three or four in Pittsburgh this weekend. Let's continue to talk about the Brewers. We missed out on a lot last Thursday and Friday when we were not able to discuss here on the Wisco Sports Show because the Brewers were playing early. And now a big move came down today. We all knew that that, that it was kind of Groundhog Day. Travis Shaw's ready uh, again off the, the injured list. Ready to come back up and join the club? Well, who's going to get sent down? The more you think about it and the more we talked about it, man, I, there's not a great option. You're not going to send Aguilar down. You're not going to send Thames down. You, you don't want to keep Shaw on the minors, or at least we didn't think the Brewers would. So maybe it needs to be Keston here. And it, and it was Keston here. He was sent down earlier today to the ire and to the dismay of many Brewers fans. I, I was kind of preparing myself for this, as I'm sure lots of you were as well. Let's talk about it. Let, let's let's. It's going to hurt. Well, let's talk about it coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Against Sports. Back in a moment here on WKTY. Tying run at the plate. And Hira sends one deep to left. And this game is tied. Keston Hira. A two-run blast. Number five on the year. And it's 10 to 10. Are you kidding me? Not kidding. We're talking about that game last Saturday. It was one of the uh, one of the three wins the Brewers took from Pittsburgh in that four-game set. That 12 to 10 in the 13. Extra innings made possible to you by Keston Hira, who has now been sent down by the Milwaukee Brewers. Let's talk about it. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills, and I am your host. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for hanging out. A lot of people were upset, and, and and rightfully so. When the Brewers made that announcement today, I think the sentiment of many was, oh, here we go. You know, cue the angry Brewer fans. And look, you have a right to be frustrated. You have a right to be angry. I found myself, and, and we talked about this, when Keston here came up, I said, I'm, I'm running to the TV when he comes up to hit because this guy has been talked about and talked about and raved about and put on the cover of magazines. I want to see what he's got. So, so to me, Keston here was a little bit of a draw to make sure that, okay, in the fourth inning of a game on a Tuesday night, when I got a million other things going on, I have to sit down and watch because I want to see what Keston here can do. So as a fan, I, I'm 
I'm a little bit disappointed because he was a lot of the reason the last couple of weeks why I've been so drawn, why I've been so interested because I want to see if he could keep up. You remember his first game, he had a couple of hits and, and like he, he came out of the gate hot and I'm okay. Well, can he keep it up? Can I, what's he going to do? I, I've found myself tuning in sometimes specifically to just see what's going on with Keston here. It was a productive first stint uh, for here in the majors. Certainly will not be his last in 17 games. He hit 281, gave you 18 hits, five home runs and nine RBIs, and that home run from Saturday night, uh, the biggest of the bunch, that tied the game at 10 to force extra innings, where Orlando Arcia, of course, who we just talked about, had the opportunity to uh, not walk it off, but uh, put the Brewers in a position to win then in the bottom and close it out, which uh, which they did. If you want to talk Brewers, you can. The five-star telecom talk and text line is open, 608-796-2558. Twitter, at Keystroker Grant. You can find us all at WKTY. I... I we all kind of knew a move was coming. We didn't know if this would be the move. But if you if you ask me this morning, Grant, who do you think the Brewers are going to send down to make space for Travis Shaw? Of course, you could also argue that the Brewers didn't have to do anything. You could keep Travis Shaw in the minors. He's got he's got options and let him work out his stroke because he hasn't exactly been tearing the cover off the ball in the minors either. I know that's not always what it's about. The results is not about the results. It's about the process. So that's only one factor. But you could also argue that the, the Brewers could leave Shaw down there. So there's a lot of ways they could have gone about this. None of them were, were really perfect. Because you're either sending down somebody who who is kind of above the minor leagues. Like, the Brewers don't want to do Eric Thames like that. They don't want to put him in San Antonio. They don't want to do that to Travis Shaw either. But you can't send Jesus Aguilar down because he, he would he would become available. And somebody's obviously going to claim him on waivers. You, you're not, what are you going to send Mike Moustakis down? Like, you're obviously not going to do that. You're not going to send Aaron Perez down. You're not going to do anything with him. So, Keston Hero was kind of the. This burden just kind of fell on him, regardless of his performance. I'm sure the performance made this decision harder for David Stearns, and it's definitely going to make the reaction from Brewers fans all the more unpleasant and, and, and filled with spite. But I, I think this was, a, was an expectable move. Uh, today, David Stearns talked about it a little bit, and, and this kind of goes along the same lines of what we just talked about. He told reporters, we believe that Travis has earned the right to play at the major league level right now, and he's healthy. He's gone and done his rehab assignment, and we believe that it's time for him to come back. So kind of along the same lines of what we were saying, it, you you can't send someone down into the minor leagues without, to put it in a weird way, without doing them dirty, Right. You don't want to do that to Eric Thames. You don't want to do that to Travis Shaw because he's been a great major leaguer for you the last couple of years. You don't want to throw him under the bus, right? You don't want to put him in the minors, and that's fair. And I think that was a lot of the motivation behind this move. Stearns was asked, does this make does this make the team worse? Like, does this hurt the team? And Stearns says, I think we have to keep in mind that this is a long season and preserving organizational depth, preserving options throughout the entirety of the season is something that we think is really important. It's something that we have focused on over the last couple of years, and it has served us well. It behooves us to make sure we have as much depth and as much flexibility as possible. So that was uh, that was tweeted out by Adam McCalvey, a beat writer for MLB.com, Brewers.com. You can follow him on Twitter if you'd like, at Adam McCalvey. Uh, and I appreciate those quotes because it kind of gives us a little bit of an image, maybe a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of the mind of David Stearns in the motivation. Because by the numbers take the names out of it, take the players out of it, just looking at the numbers, there's no reason to send Keston Hira down. He had 18 hits in 17 games. He gave you five home runs and a handful of RBIs as well. Almost double digits, nine RBIs, hit, 10, hit 281. Like, the numbers gave no reason to send that player down. Like I said, if you take the faces, you take the names off, take the jerseys off, 
There's no reason to send Keston Hira down. It was about wanting to respect Travis Shaw and wanting to respect Eric Thames and, and, and those players because David Stearns feels that that's something that they've earned. Travis Shaw and his time with the Brewers has earned the right to work out his kinks in the majors and not be put into the minors. And I think those quotes tell us a little bit more along those lines. I You can make an argument to send Hira down. You can make an argument to keep him up, just like you could do for Shaw. I was thinking about this this morning. If I'm David Stearns, and I'm making essentially a pros and cons list of keeping Hira up or sending him down for Shaw. right? So, so keeping Hira up, I mean, the argument, the proof is in the pudding if you just want to look at the statistics. Like I said, 17 games, 281, 18 hits, 5 home runs, and 9 RBIs. If you just want to go on that, okay, fine. If you just want to stick to statistics, yes. I think there's a little bit more to it. I think you can read in between the lines a little bit closer. With Keston Hira, this is something that I really loved. I talked about how he had a, he had a great debut, right? He had a couple of hits in his first game, in his first couple of at-bats. Like He gave you a moment right off of the bat. He jumped right off the bat, to, to use a baseball term, right? After that game, Keston Hira has been consistent. He's, he's delivered for you in big spots. It wasn't just a flash in the pan at the beginning, right? Hot out of the gates and then slowed down. It wasn't, okay, look at how exciting it was right away. Okay, well, he's maybe not ready to be a full-time major league player yet. That wasn't, that wasn't the instance. I think it's easy to stand out in your major league debut. All the eyes are on you. You're probably not hitting high in the lineup. Here it wasn't. Your parents were there. There was a lot of fanfare. There's a lot of adrenaline. It's all about casting here and he delivered, okay? No doubt about it. But after that, what about a what about a rainy Tuesday night in Pittsburgh at the end of a long series when you're dealing with rain delay and, and, and there's no pomp and circumstance and there's only 8,000 people in the stands and your parents aren't there and nobody's talking about Keston Hira, this wild flying prospect, because everybody is focused on everybody else, right? That that, that fanfare has, has passed. Keston Hira still delivered in games like that. That extra innings game on Saturday, Keston Hira still delivered. What about a random game in Cincinnati on a Friday night that no one's at because Cincinnati stinks? He still delivered. He was consistent. He was good throughout. It wasn't just a flash and a memory that left us at the beginning. We see a lot of prospects come up and do that, right? Look great off the bat, and then and then weeks later, we're like, yeah, maybe they're not ready, or maybe they're not the player we thought they were. So in making a case for Keston Hira, that absolutely has to be addressed. If I'm a lawyer and I'm standing in defense of Keston Hira today— Outside of the statistics, which we've already mentioned a couple of times, and those speak for themselves, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm focusing on. I'm saying, look, it's easy for a high-level prospect to come up in his debut and get all the attention, get all the hype. His parents are there. We're talking about his backstory. We're talking about his journey, and he gives us a couple of hits. Man, he got it done. He's made it to the majors. It's easy for prospects, I, I think, to have their moment right away. What about after that, right? Baseball's a grind. Summer is a grind. Rain delays, late night, uh, uh, late night extra inning games in, in cities where I mean, have you seen pictures of some baseball stadiums so far this year? Five, six thousand people there. It's just a graveyard. Those games are just as important, win and loss wise, as Keston Hira's debut on a glamorous game uh, in Philadelphia. I believe he was in Philly when he made his debut. That's what I'm saying. That's my defense of Keston Hira. Is he's been good through and through, which I think makes him look like a legitimate. MLB hitter who's ready to be a full-time player. I, I think that's just as important as the statistics. Not only how many home runs and how many RBIs, but but where did they come? And they've been through and through so far in, in uh, what was it, his 18 games? 17 games so far in the majors. 18 hits sprinkled all throughout. 
Now, you could also argue for Travis Shaw, and I did this a couple of weeks ago. I, I think it would be easy to, to fall into this trap, and, and I've done it myself. It'd be easy to fall into this trap of thinking, okay, you put Moose at second base, RC at shortstop, Keston Hira at second, and then you figure out first base with either Thames or Aguilar, who, who's, who's ever feeling better, who's ever hitting better, right? All right, you're good. You don't need Travis Shaw. You got your infield. Moose has been great. RC has been good, as we talked about, and Hira's been everything promised and more. You got your infield figured out. Well, screw Travis Shaw. Send him down. If he gets picked up on waivers, if whatever happens, happens. We got our guy. We got our infield. And it would be easy to think that way. I, 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 I think that's doing a great disservice to Travis Shaw and Aaron Perez and a lot of other players uh, that the Brewers have, have used and have employed the last two years. A couple of weeks ago, I believe this was two weeks ago, we were talking about Travis Shaw and it's it's Keston Hira time. It's Mike Moustakis time. And we're saying, Travis Shaw just might not be part of the, part of the future. And I said, wait, 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 hold on. Let's look at last year's run for the Brewers, okay? In 2018, whereas we all know they made it to game seven in the NLCS. They had Travis Shaw at third and they said, we can get better. Let's get Mike Moustakis. We'll figure it out. All right, Travis Shaw's at second. We have Orlando Arcia. Well, we also have Aaron Perez, who, who's a great role player. And we have our first baseman in Aguilar, and, and Thames is a, is a good backup as well. Not really in the postseason, but they used him plenty. But what other moves did they make? They had Domingo Santana, right? right? They, they had these depth players. They went out and got Curtis Granderson. Did they really need him? No. But another bat to have on the bench. Another bat that if something weird happens, you get an injury, uh, something crazy happens. I don't know. Christian Yelich, uh, he's not married, but let's say Ryan Brown's wife goes into labor. He can't be there. Okay. Whatever circumstance, you can have Curtis Granderson now. Like uh, the Brewers showed near the trade deadline and, and, and later passed into August, whatever trade deadline that is, that sometimes depth is just good to have for the sake of depth. Now, I'm not saying Travis Shaw is the second baseman of the future for the Milwaukee Brewers because I think it is Keston here, but... Last year should should tell us it takes more than your starting four infielders and your starting three outfielders. You want options to go to on the bench. You need you need Travis Shaw. You need Travis Shaw to be hitting well. You need Mike Moustakas to be playing well. They might need Keston Hero down the stretch. They're gonna need they're gonna need everyone. It takes a village. Last year's a great example. Last year sets the precedent that it takes more than four infielders. You want your utility man, Aaron Perez. You probably want a backup uh, corner infielder. Might want to back up second baseman as well. You certainly want an extra outfielder or two, which they had last year in Domingo Santana. Like, the Brewers have shown us their MO, and it's depth, depth, depth. They're not giving up on Travis Shaw. And I think that's really what this is about. They know Keston Hero will be there, right? He's not going anywhere in the next month or two. They need to get Travis Shaw right because they need him to be right if they want to try to recreate what they did in the postseason last year. Brewers have got time. They want Travis Shaw to be a part of things. I want to continue to talk about the Brewers. we got to take a break, but I want to continue to talk about the Brewers, especially starting pitching-wise. Well, we'll talk about here. We'll talk about Shaw as well, and maybe we'll get to some of your texts and calls off the five-star telecom talking text line, 608-796-2558. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next, presented by Play It Again Sports, right here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Brewers off tonight. They'll be back in action tomorrow. And as we start looking ahead, start peeking ahead, Jimmy Nelson is going to be back making a start on Wednesday. So, of course, now that is the, uh, now the Keston year has been called up and sent back down. Now we can look forward to the Jimmy Nelson call up. That'll be on Wednesday. No Brewers tonight here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show. 
And my name is Grant Bills, your host. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for hanging out. We've been talking Brewers uh, most of the show. I guess we did talk a little bit NBA Finals to start things out. If you want to check out something that you missed, do so at WKTYsports.com. All of our shows are right there. Click away in podcast form. Keston here was sent down today. Yolisha seen going on the injured list to make room for Jimmy Nelson in the rotation. The Brewers starters are now in an absolutely fascinating spot. I was trying to wrestle with this earlier today, trying to make sense of what the Brewers rotation could look like in a week or especially in heck in two weeks. There's a lot of different ways it could go. Shasin put on the aisle. They say he has a lower a lower back injury, right? And that's not allowing him to pitch like we saw a year ago. I, I had my reservations about two players in the offseason when we were talking about the upcoming 2019 season for the Brewers. Number one was Jesus Aguilar. I, I didn't think he was going to be able to replicate what he did last year. Not I didn't think he was going to be this bad, but I certainly had my my reservations. And the second was Yoli Shasin. He was tremendous last year. I, I don't know if that's the pitcher that he is. And, and this injury, it, we'll see. Right, maybe it is the injury that's that's been uh, hurting his performance, but maybe not. Maybe he's just regressed. We'll see. Uh, the Brewers' starting rotation has gone through a big jumble. So what I was trying to do today is let's start the season over, knowing what we know now, and let's reorder the Brewers' rotation. If the season started today, but we could look at however many games the Brewers have played, uh, and use that as 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 a sample size, they are thirty four and twenty six. So we can use all of those games, wins and losses, to tell us everything we need to know. And let's reorder the rotation. How would we line it up? Well, a- after the first couple of pitchers, I realized I-, I have no clue. So Zach Davies has got to be your ace. I think that's clear. And-, and so far, Brandon Woodruff has been your second best pitcher after a slow start. So I'm I'm fairly confident in, in my Davies and Woodruff one-two punch. Now, after that, it gets interesting as all hell. Because you have all sorts of pitchers in all sorts of situations. How do you fill out the rest of the rotation? So, Chase Anderson right now, it looks like he's going to still be a part of this rotation. Now, he started the year in the bullpen, was really forced into a starting role as necessity, and has pitched well. Knock on wood that 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 continues. So, he's overperforming, much like Davies and, and Woodruff. You have Gio Gonzalez, who's been brought in. Whether he ultimately ends up in the starting rotation or in the bullpen uh, will depend on other guys like Yoli Shasin when he comes back from injury, whether he is uh, what he once was or he continues to struggle. But but mostly Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns. Those are the two guys that is going to dictate where Jimmy Nelson sits in this rotation and where, if at all, Gio Gonzalez and Chase Anderson sit in this rotation. Because I think Shasin's not getting put in the bullpen, at least not yet. I think that that day is very far off. I'm not saying it's impossible, but that day is far off. I do know that Zach Davies and Brandon Woodruff are your number one and number two. I hope that Jimmy Nelson comes back and and, and can be at least a, a portion, at least a fraction of what he was a couple of years ago, a long time ago, when he last pitched for the Brewers, right? So optimistically, Davies and Woodruff, and then hopefully Nelson sneaks into that group, and then you got a whole bunch of question marks. Does Chase Anderson continue to pitch like this? If so, I don't know why you'd put him back into the bullpen, although Keston here got sent down today, so you never know. Yoli Shasin, does he get healthy? Does he improve? He might find himself back into that group. And then Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns, uh, the two biggest of question marks possible on this Brewers roster. Where do they end up? If you were to try to reorder the Brewers rotation right now, man, it's a big mess. I like my lead dog, I like Zach Davies, and I like Brandon Woodruff, but after that, I I have no clue. 
you got to wait for that first domino to fall, and I think that first domino is on Wednesday with Jimmy Nelson. How does he pitch? Because if he's great, he's back into the rotation, and he is there, right? Okay, so now you have three guys. N- now who? Gio Gonzalez is hurt. Yoli Shasin is hurt. So I think Chase Anderson takes that spot for now. Do we get a start from Peralta? Do we get a start from Adrian Hauser and, and mix that with Freddie Peralta? I don't think Corbin Burns is getting another start as bad as, as injuries and, and, and call-ups and send-downs are right now. I don't think Burns is getting another start for a while. I actually don't hate where the Brewers are pitching-wise, assuming nobody gets more hurt, right? As long as the 10-day for Shasin and the 10-day for Gonzalez don't get extended, I actually like where the Brewers are. And I was thinking, and I was comparing this to the NFL draft. A lot of people think in the NFL draft, it's not about where the picks are as much as how many picks you have, right? You want as many bites of the apple as possible, right? You want as many swings as you can get because the more swings you take, the better odds you're going to hit on one or two, right? The, kind of the question, would you rather have the second overall pick or would you rather have the seventh and the ninth overall pick? You know, stuff like that, questions like that. Would you rather have more picks? Would you rather have better picks? Well, in the case of the Brewers, I don't think they have a number one pick if we're if we're using the, the NFL analogy, the NFL draft analogy. You have a couple really good players in Zach Davies and Brandon Woodruff, and then you have a bunch of question marks. Now, I'm actually okay with where the Brewers are because I think, as last year, they did closer by committee. Right now, they can kind of do starter by committee until they figure it out. See how Chase Anderson keeps pitching. Maybe you find a gem that you didn't know you had. Maybe Jimmy Nelson gets back to an elite level or at least a really, really good level. Well, there you go. You hit on another one. Maybe Gio Gonzalez doesn't pan out or maybe Elise Chassin doesn't pan out, but one of them probably will. And I think by the end of the year, either Freddie Peralta or Corbin Burns will be a a good starter or or maybe get back to that elite bullpen level we saw last year. I I think because the Brewers have such a, a great mass of bodies and a great mass of arms, the odds of finding three other starting pitchers at this moment to accompany Davies Woodruff are pretty good. It's like when people talk about the the NFL draft. You want as many bites at the apple as possible. You want as many swings as possible. Well, the Brewers have a a ton of bites right now. They they have a bunch of arms. I can only definitively say that I love two of them. But I like the odds that maybe Chase Anderson turns himself into a good starter. Or Jimmy Nelson comes back great. Or Chasin or Gonzalez just needs to get over their injury. And then then they'll be great as well. I, I don't know. But they have a lot of bodies. Odds are a couple of them are going to work out, and they only need a few. It's my way of looking at it, at least. Brewers are off tonight. They will be back in action tomorrow. Packers OTA is underway. Of course, the NBA Finals roll on. A lot to talk about. Same time, same place tomorrow. I'll be back here on the Wisco Sports Show. Can't wait to talk to you then.